You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number 26. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 26. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a man of few words who don't got a lot to say about the past, but assured me he's new in town for a fresh start and he is not running from the law, is Will! Folks around here call me Rhinestone Willie. But we ain't gonna find out why just yet, right? Some say it's cause I have rhinestones on my hat. Others say it's just a nickname cause I collect rhinestones. But either way, just sit a spell, I'm gonna tell you about it. And still others say that the rhinestone killer walks among us, but it's definitely not you though, right? Yes, so uh, speaking of mysterious origins... This is that beautiful time of year, which is one of my personal favorite times of year. That is the new year. And uh, I got to say, I'm a really big fan of the new year because as we were talking about in our last episode, uh, the holiday season that immediately precedes the new year is one for people who love to be cozy. Mm -hmm. Will's favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And what I love is like New Year's comes along and it's like, oh, are you enjoying that hot chocolate? Get it out of here. Resolutions. Like, I love New Year's resolutions. I love kicking people out of a rut. Do you have any New Year's resolutions to speak of? You know most of them are guitar related. I have about three or four songs that I work on all the time and try to improve on all the time because you can always work on something. You can always work on your phrasing or your pitching or something like that and then I expand off of those as a base but they're sort of like how I track my progress yeah I think a lot of people don't realize that you can kind of learn how to play see okay here's the kind of guitar player I am you kind of like learn how to play it and be like I could do that if I want to and then I move on but Will does not do that he's he's like you got to do it inside and out and then make sure that like all of your picking is completely precise and that all of your fretboard work is completely precise. I think there's a difference between people who are like singers and people who are guitar players, I guess. Like you play, you practice it as much as you need to practice it to do what you need to do. And so I don't sing. So the guitar is the only way I have to comment. And so it has to be just how I want it. Your comments need to be very precise. That's right. Yeah. So, so there's going to be a lot of metronome work in the new year. Well, I wish you well. Uh, I want to get as good as Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, so I can act like it just came from me. So I can just say things. So I can just say things. Oh, you just have to feel it. That's the only secret. This Even is though the thing. he practiced tons and he grew up, like his dad was like an orchestra conductor and all kind of stuff. I feel like I want to tell everybody about this kind of thing. It's something that we've noticed and we've talked about. There is no such thing as a high achieving laid back person. Like anybody who is a self-professed wild man in music is secretly a type A 
crazy person. Yeah. You are working hard behind the scenes, even if people don't see it. David Lee Roth is, That's at, I was thinking is about. out there. You know, he he was out there working on his bel canto voice warm ups somewhere. There was a there was a really good episode of WTF that he was on where he talked about his musical background and Eddie's musical background, and he he definitely is an overachiever, and especially Eddie was. Eddie sounded more painful and disciplined but they definitely work hard yeah you you don't get to be out there in the public eye just completely winging it no somebody's out there working hard even if you don't see it and of course that's the magic is to convince people that it is all so good it looks easy yeah you make it look easy you just put the beard on you if you do something so well that people are like that's easy i'm gonna do that on one hand it's insulting but on the other hand it's extremely flattering because you made it look that smooth that's that's how you knew you did a good job everybody wants to copy you that that is your that is your like golden star moment so anybody out there who's feeling intimidated because you're like some stuff looks so effortless from some people i guarantee you that person is a mess behind the scenes yeah and they are working so hard and you just don't see it like so seriously please take that in your heart because that is such a thing it really is nobody's just out there having an easy fun good time of it no one you hear me no one this is inspirational by the way (laughs) everyone's terrible and working too hard with that in mind what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the origin story archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. Okay, now we really didn't like plan this out too much in advance because I was just kind of thinking, okay, origin story, fresh year, new start, like the, the grand beginnings of something. So like what were your criteria for picking the best origin stories for our countdown? Um... The more I thought about it, the more I thought of it as kind of like uh, something that is like a refocusing, like it's a, I have, it's a personally clarifying event that allows you to refocus and recommit yourself. So often it's a tragedy or um, just some event that gives you purpose or really defines your code for you. Yeah, but it, there but you it, go. But it sort of re- restarts you and, and recommits you down a path. Right. So, because I was noticing it's not necessarily your birth in fact your, yeah, your birth exactly. may be part of it it may be part of what makes you interesting but it's not your defining yeah, it's moment. like a calcifying of your principles yeah, there and we code. Go. yeah so i was saying like so like i would to add to that just say when someone becomes fully who they are there you go you yeah. know and yeah it's a defining circumstance a combination of how they were made with how they made themselves mm-hmm. is what i kind of said mm-hmm. So, and my list is going to be weird, so whatever. Everyone just get prepared for that. Uh-huh. But yeah, we we love a good origin story, and I know we're thinking about like, okay, the Batman story, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like the the main one, you know, the moment that the Waynes are are gunned down in that alley. The pearls. Yes, that is that is the moment that makes Batman. So is is superhero stories, that's one place where we're really thinking of this from. Like, where, where are some other places where we're kind of getting this origin story zhuzh from? Well, they, I, I think mostly probably from comic book stuff. So if not superheroes, then the other side of that, like um, horror uh, creatures, maybe. They, they, you know, their creation is is always a big deal, like the Frankenstein thing or the Invisible Man, you know, that kind of thing. Created in infamy, created from hubris. Yeah. It's always about, it's yeah, always yeah, about yeah, the yeah, hubris. Yeah, yeah so we're, we're always very interested in knowing where somebody comes from and how they became to be who they are. And that's really just kind of where how we're approaching this list from. So with all of that in mind, would you like to start us off with your first pick? 
Number eight. All right, Stanley. You were slamming. Thanks, Gramps. But I couldn't have done it without the shoes. You got that right. You guys were really kicking it. Well, it's bag time, boys. Now, in, in my day, when I wore the shoes, when I was sold, man, I might have saved the librarian with a little more style. I don't know, Gramps. You know, I'm not sure I got time for this superhero stuff. Yeah, you do, too. You're the man. I sure appreciate it, but I'm not sure you picked the right guy. As you know, we often ask ourselves, do shoes make the man? <laughs> One cartoon tried to answer this question in 1991. This is Hammer Man, a show about a musical superhero <laughs> based yeah. on the hip-hop megastar MC Hammer. I lo- okay, I, so first of all, I love this. And second of all, now I do remember that the theme song for this mm-hmm. explains the origin. Yes. And that was one of the reasons why it's such a great theme song. But wait, so yeah, just tell us some more about Hammer Man, especially for those of us who didn't live through it, those blessed years. Well, the, the theme song is probably the main thing people would remember for, for it. And I, I will get to that. But if you didn't watch this, uh, or you want to know more about it, it aired for 13 episodes on ABC in 91 and was hosted by the real MC Hammer to set up the episode. And then he discussed the social issue the episode was about at the end. He's like on the porch with a bunch of way over eager kids who agree with everything he says. So that's funny. I didn't realize that it had like a moral lesson at the end. Like yeah, the there He-Man. was pretty good. Um, and, and they were all kind of based on like um, social issues that would have been important to like the fictional Oakland where the uh, show took place. So like a lot of like the first episode, I think, was about graffiti. And um, he was asking like the kids like, like, what do you think about graffiti? And then they're all like, this is the worst. And was like, why would you do that? You know, things like that. And <laughs> Oh, children. Yeah. And he's trying to, and then he, but then he explains like some graffiti is good, but not when you put it on other people's property. When I, I mean, there was one kid I heard in the background go, yeah. So, <laughs> that was good. Uh, that was a good ad lib. Yeah. So they, they prepared him a lot. He looked uh, really upset about the graffiti. So check this out. Anybody like graffiti? No. Why not? Because most people put it where they're not supposed to. Now, it can be good. So, like, MC Hammer had all the makings of an excellent cartoon character. That's right. Because I mean, That's like, right. So, this is trivia. I may have mentioned it somewhere on the podcast before. But the first cassette tape I ever bought with my own money was, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was, like, I had money. We were at Walmart in the tape section. And I'm like, I'm going to get this. And I'm going to be a fan of MC Hammer. Well, that's what that's what I was going to say too is that he was like a superhero for us. Yeah. I mean, our our school was nuts about him. Everybody had the tape and part of it was that he was savvy enough to have a cult of personality. He looked like a superhero. He had obviously the trademark parachute pants which gave him a silhouette like a cartoon character that it was he, a the, un- undeniable silhouette yeah the wide pointy shoulder pads it was all black he had like the like the fade haircut with the lines in it and he had the uh, sunglasses and the big gold chain and he danced hard which was a thing that was very 90s as you know it wasn't like smooth like all the time it was like he danced real hard but he it looked, was really athletic dancing it was it was um, like mechanical dancing, like he was like a little, like a doll. Yeah, like he can, um, <laughs> he can pop and lock, but it was very, 
stompy like sometimes like but it was it was it was it was very athletic but he looked like a superhero so much so that in the cartoon when he transforms into hammer man he just wearing the mc hammer clothes and he looks immediately like a superhero stop hamilton so in the cartoon it's his shoes that give him the magic power yeah so like like the song says that like you were saying about the song the thing everybody remembers about the cartoon is this very long intro song it's really good um but he raps the entire origin story it's like two minutes and you think it's done <laughs> and then there's more and it keeps on going i'll tell you i'll tell you the premise basically there's an old motown superhero i think he was called soul man who gets too old for it and so he and his niece give uh his magical dancing shoes to stanley a youth center uh worker and um that's MC Hammer, and when he puts on the shoes, he turns into Hammer Man, and he protects a fictional Oakland from disasters and helps him with social issues. That's like very heartwarming. I, it's re- it was really positive and really good, um, and like a lot of, lot of the characters had like that nineties um, like um, African pride sort of colors and stuff, and uh, it it looked like Oakland. It was really cool. Um, the song is pretty great. Um, I'm sure I'll play a clip of it, but I'll, just so you know how literal the song was, I'll give you a taste of it. He says, here's how it started a long time ago, the legend of the hammer and how it began to grow. He was given magical shoes by a hip hop Motown dude. Together they had power. They stood up for what was right, but Gramps was getting old and he couldn't keep up the fight. And so on. It's <laughs> just so a story on. of sentences. And the, the tempo is not super fast, which is like, yeah. you really got to kind of settle in and just yeah. be like, I'm along for the ride here. Of Ghani Stanley, Stanley. Who's dancing every night. He helped the kids play every day. His heart was out of sight. So Gramps opened up the bag and took out the magical shoes. He set them on the ground and they soon began to groove. Right. The shoes knew at once they had finally found their man. They hopped right on his feet and he became Hammer Man, Hammer Man, Hammer, Hammer So his superpowers were like uh, extreme jumping. He could parachute down from the heights with his pants, obviously. Um, and he would dance. And when he did, his shoes would release music notes that would animate objects. Like he would make a water tower sort of move like a Beetlejuice creature and dump water on a house fire or something. Uh, a lot of people and critics love to dump on this show and know the animation is not good. And the dialogue's pretty childish. It was a very young person's cartoon, but I love the concept. I thought it was a really creative uh, story and is no worse than 10 other terrible cartoons. You could have watched at the time, like, Watch Captain Planet and get back to me. <laughs> We're always dogging on Captain yeah, Planet, but he deserved um, it. And uh, also, I would say, too, uh, maybe it's not for you. Like, I saw uh, one critic I don't have to mention, but you, I saw him dogging on the show. But, you know, I think to remember, there was very little in the way of representation for superheroes for kids at the time. And maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but... I have to imagine maybe that's why um, Spider-Man and Batman were probably more popular for like lots of different types of kids and ethnicities because he had a mask. It's easier to pretend. You don't think about how big a deal that is. Yeah. When there's not people on the screen who look like you, who are drawn to look like you, then you know, you have to kind of go with what you have. Yeah. But like Hammerman was very positive and it was like uh, very uh, like um, 
Oakland centric and, and it, it was, it was really cool. And then I just personally love it because it has those Motown ties. Like Gramps is always talking about, you know, back when I was soul man, I would have done it like this. And it's really funny. That's really cute. I'm kind of sad that Hammerman didn't get more time. in the I, sunshine. I know. And you were saying this earlier, but I think this is a hero whose origin is really deserved. Like, I think it's cool that the story is Stanley was worthy and he got rewarded. It wasn't just like he found some magical helmet or something. And, you know, sometimes you'll see like heroes get chosen because they are deemed pure by some alien or magic ring or something. But like this guy did the work. He was working (laughs) in a youth center and they did it. And I'll sort of close with, you know, in the context of like critics bagging on the show and stuff, if you look at the YouTube comments, I saw one person say, I used to grab my MC hammer doll and watch this show on Saturday morning when I was younger. And then one person says, one of my childhood loves was always missing the show because I had to go to church choir practice, but hell yes, I wanted to be hammer man. Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) Well, let's check it out right here on hammer man. We kicking it off today. Number seven. If I forget what you say, then you'd come to me and tell me again. Yes, you'd tell me once again. But what happens when I know it all, then what should I do after that? All right, at number seven, this is this is a departure pick for me. I'm very proud of myself, but I would I would propose Misa Amine from Death Note. Uh huh. Okay. We haven't talked about Death Note in a long time. We haven't talked about. Death I'm surprised Note you in a long time. picked her. I would I didn't I wouldn't know if you would like remember her fondly. So you, I have an argument for why uh-huh. her. Okay, so we'll we'll, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so this is the 2006-2007 anime based on the 2003 very popular manga series, Death Note. And um, it, it's important that I mention that specifically because this was such a popular series that it has spun several different versions, including a live-action one that they did pretty recently and, like, a musical. Like, Death uh, Note is a I whole see that. phenomenon. Actually, yeah, it looked kind of cool. If, if I'm being honest, it looked kind of yeah. cool. Um, apparently, the lady who gets to play Ren, the Shinigami, like, she really gets, like, a good meaty part in the musical. I could see that. Yeah. Gosh, she was cool. Yeah. So um, one of the themes of this story is that being granted power will change you. But how? Right. Okay. So in the case of the series protagonist, this is a kid named Light Yagami. He's changed because he finds a notebook and whoever's name he writes in the notebook, that person will die. Okay. So that's like the central concept uh-huh. of Death Note if it's been a and while. And he can write details that dictate the circumstances of how they die, like of a heart attack at 3 p.m. Or like he can do things like that. Yeah. you Yeah. You can say like how they die. Yeah. Um, so the, the notebook is called a Death Note. It was placed in the Earth realm by a bored Shinigami named Ryuk. So okay, basically. Shinigamis are. A, like, a death spirit. Yeah. Like a death god. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this kind of like they function sort of like a grim reaper in Western lore. Okay. And they're functionally immortal because they can use their death notes to steal years from human lives and tack them onto their own in the Shinigami realm. So that's like the whole, the weird mystical backstory of like, what, like, how does this kid just get this death note? All right. 
So what happens when Light, who, by the way, is not my pick, it's not, I'm not talking about the protagonist, when he finds the Death Note is like, I think it's how you might imagine it when any morally upright, bright young man would stumble onto the same kind of power, which is he starts methodically killing evil people, bad dudes who are in jail, and he fabricates this persona for himself in the media called Kira, right? So he likes to make this big phenomenon out of himself and really is kind of like enjoying the little power trip of it, uh -huh. even if it's like a righteous a righteous use of power. So basically think anonymous in the Guy Fox mas mask, uh -huh. except, you know, slightly fictionalized. Death note? As in a notebook of death? Hmm. How do you use it? All right, so this brings us to Misa. This is my pick. She is an up-and-coming fashion model whose parents were killed in a home invasion. So this is part one of her origin story. Uh -huh. So tragic, I forgot that. Tragic parent death. The man who killed her parents was eventually targeted and killed by Kira mm -hmm. with his death note. So she felt like she got some justice there. And then she became this huge, obsessive fangirl of Kira. And then for reasons, 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 plot, she gets her own death note. And she becomes the second Kira. But she's wild. Yeah. And this is where you're like, I don't know that you would remember her fondly. I don't necessarily remember her fondly. I just think it's a really, really interesting kind of like origin. She sought out her craziness. Like she, she sought this out. This wasn't by happenstance. It didn't just fall into her lap. And her tragedies in life kind of, like, I don't know, she winds up making a lot of hay out of them, but she does this in this really doing the most over-the-top kind of way, and for that reason, I just can't help but stand. Um, ultimately, she's a very tragic figure, and she's got a lot of attachment issues because she gets really, really obsessed with Light Yagami, and mm -hmm. they have this whole thing. But I kind, of, I kind of feel like it's a more developed ego option to become the thing you're obsessed with instead of just obsessing. Right. Yeah, that's my and 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 also there's something there with like her not following any of the rules. Like she doesn't follow any of the code that uh, Kenji has. Like she does exactly what she wants to do with that yes. power. And it's 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 a little bit unhinged, and I like I can't help but applaud how how differently she does it. And of course. Uh, for other reasons, she's more dangerous than he was, and the authorities are like, "Oh, you know, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> like what? What shall we do here?" Um, There's also something interesting there with the way uh, that book works, because I remember part of the story being about being able to know certain people's true names, like people would use fake names so you couldn't target them with the death note or something. And there's something about like becoming yourself and like naming yourself or something like that. That's always like you know, important part of your origin. It's like, we're, you know, we're given these circumstances, you're given these names, but like, it's like, I am Kenji, you are this person or something. So there's, there's something there about yeah. people's real selves. I'm not sure what to do with that, but I'm thinking about it. I, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm digging that. It's kind of like, it's who you decide that you are yeah. rather than who somebody told you that you are. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe you can project it onto other people too. It's like, like you can say you're this person, but I know who you really are. 
and it, it, like really knowing somebody or knowing yourself as having power or having power over someone else. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, while I would say, I think we all know that I'm not like the biggest anime fan in the world, but if you are someone who is not super into it and you're like, where's an entry point? Death Note is definitely an entry point. I was going to say the same thing. Like I, I would say, even if you haven't even touched like anime before, it's a great like cat and mouse detective story and it's really moody um but and it's got some great great like um comic like demon ghosty characters that are so fun the shinigami character design is just is amazing they're they're really fun and um very beloved obviously so so yeah i i don't know just uh um take your tragedies and become what you wish (laughs) because no one can stop you that's maybe a dangerous lesson, but it's still a lesson. <laughs> Good lesson. Number six. Victor used the college, used its modern scientific equipment to conduct strange, forbidden experiments. Hey, Vic, I've been going over some of your notes, and I'm afraid you're a couple of decimal points off on some of your figures. Out! I have no time for you. Okay, find out for yourself. At last. His experiments ended abruptly. Okay, you know you've got a good origin story if somebody can look at you and say, what's happening there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what happened? What happened to you there? Uh, even if you don't know anything about him, you kind of know his deal and what he looks like. This is Victor Von Doom, also known as Doctor Doom. Dun dun dun. Uh, so you know Doctor Doom from Marvel. So I know he's from Marvel. I know that he was like uh, conceived for the Fantastic Four. Yeah, and he's- or, yeah. And he is a big, like, he's got, like, a big death mask kind mm-hmm. of a deal and a very inscrutable de- face. And, uh... Yeah, he's got he's got one of the best looks. I would say he's one of the most comic booky of comic book supervillains. Like, if he's shaking his fist or whatever, it looks right. Um, <laughs> he's very well, theatrical. Yeah, that's, that's, like, with his name, too. Like, I, I feel like... I, I mean, whenever it was just like, well, we got to have a guy named Dr. Doom, right? This is the name that we all agree on is awesome. And then I think they were like, yes, more or less. And then they just went with it. I'll give you a little bit of his backstory, a little bit about his situation so you can appreciate his transformation and his origin story. Um, he is a major supervillain in the Marvel Universe and primarily the arch enemy of Reed Richards, the stretchy scientist from the Fantastic Four. Doom is also a brilliant scientist in his own right. And he's such a good scientist that he's also a powerful magician. Because when you're real good at science, you start... (laughs) Yeah, they overlap. You start brushing against other planes and stuff. (laughs) Right. Like Ghostbusters. He is also the ruler of the fictional country of Latveria. And he has an army of Doom bots to do his bidding. And with all that power, he'd like to make the world a better place by conquering it. So... Pretty I mean, good setup for a 70 supervillain. He hasn't shown us that he's wrong yet. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, I picked him because his origin is both um, like 
supernatural, mythological, and also extremely banal and relatable, which I think was made it extra funny and makes his story extra good. So either way you look at it, it's satisfying. Yeah, if you're dedicated enough, you can be the biggest supervillain. You just like got to put in the hours. You just got to do a little practice. <laughs> and he does do a lot of work. Um, so he starts out with uh, a pretty mythological origin that would be good enough and is pretty messed up. Um, but that doesn't quite do it, and that's why that's why it's so funny. So he's born in a Romani camp outside of Latveria, which is like a fake Eastern European country. And the old Spider-Man cartoon keeps having an evil Baron call him a gypsy as a point of interest. There, there are so many gypsy origin stories in in just popular culture. Period. Like so many, uh-huh. where that was like back in the day they considered a gypsy curse a thing that was sufficient to explain a lot of things. Right. And we don't use that word right. anymore. It's considered a slur, more or less. So, uh-huh. yeah, it is kind of... I- Speaking of <laughs> 70s, like maybe that's that's part we can clean up. But it was it's just as a point of intra- historical interest, it's interesting that that was a good enough explanation to add some, like, mystique or otherness to him yeah like you you just if you weren't gonna go full-on orientalist oh right you know if you weren't which they definitely did in the 70s they did a whole lot of that then they were just like it's a little bit like that right just a little closer to home right 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 which is i I mean again it's bonkers we all have shorthands it's not considered cool anymore we wouldn't do that today but it was certainly a a popular trope (laughs) for a very long time in a lot of different stories uh and I, yeah, and that kind of explains more about his, where they were thinking about his family situation now that I think about it. But in the comics, his mother is killed because her bargain with the devil went wrong. <laughs> like it does. And uh, later, uh, his father can't cure a noble woman. So his father takes his son, Victor, uh, off into the snowy wilderness where his father dies of exposure. But Victor finds all his mother's old occult instruments and swears revenge. There you go. Against everybody. They have murdered my mother. And now they have killed my father. They will pay. All of mankind shall pay for this. So that's good enough, right? So you're feeling pretty doomy there. That could be enough. Yeah. But that doesn't do it. Here's where it gets fun. So it's right about here in the backstory in the very old Spider-Man cartoon where he's swearing revenge, where out of nowhere, a dean from State University in New York pops into his tent and wants to offer him, quote, a full science scholarship to come to America. Do you just go scouting in random camps? I think he does. <laughs> and he was hilarious looking. Like He had like glasses and a pipe and a tweed coat. Like What dean ever leaves the comfort of his office? Also a dean. Right. Like that's like right. that's like the it's, it is the principal of a college's school. It's very uh, funny. It's like, I came here personally. Yeah, I'm the president of science at a state school. I could be drinking brandy in my office right now, but for some reason I'm here. <laughs> Victor, a stranger to see you. Hello, I'm Dean Stockton of Eastern State University in America, and I'm prepared to offer you a full science scholarship. He's like, I also brought you this drawstring backpack <laughs> with our logo on it. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, and that's where Doom meets Reed Richards. And there are two things Reed does that push Doom over the edge. One, Doom won a trophy for some reason, and Reed changed the trophy from saying Doom to Doof. So that right there made him furious. <laughs> How dare you? Furious. 
this is like in the Marvel Encyclopedia. It's like worthy of it. Like, like Doom definitely wrote this down, like in his journal, like I'm getting super villainy. And then two, Doom built a machine to pull his mother out of hell and Reed saw it and was really snide about how he built it wrong. So Doom gets mad enough, he fires it up anyway, and it burns his face off. And then he gets kicked out of the prestigious uh, State University in New York for his reckless experiments. And that right there is what uh, makes Victor build himself a costume, go to Latveria, overthrew the current ruler, create an army of robots, and try to take over the world. So, you know, on the one hand, I really, you know, you really see how someone who has, like, a lot of pride is just so easily hurt. And that's how, like, it, like everything comes from just being hurt. And you're like, but don't have so much pride, Dr. Doom. It's okay. But then, at the same time, Reed Richards be talking about my mom extracting science machines. I know. You I never know like, what somebody's going through. She might be in hell. His mother's in hell, and he's trying to pull her out, Reed. Exactly. Like, you know. Exactly. Be a little more sensitive, Reed Richards. I, I can really see it both ways is what I'm saying. I also think it's interesting when people are motivated by negativity. Do you feel like you're somebody who really work and can, can, is really actually not just like hold on to a grudge, but is fueled and motivated to work by a grudge or you to respond to positivity? I don't respond to positivity. Nothing positive can even touch me. It's neg. It's gotta just be like, you're doing something <laughs> in opposition to something or out of anger or out of not wanting something. Well, your favorite thing is, you know, that those uh, wheel of time books that we like the Aes Sedai people in there, they always do this. Your favorite thing is when you can do something that helps someone, but also delivers justice to someone oh, yeah. who did wrong. Yeah, I'm I, nothing positive can even. I'm I'm just not even. It, it's got to be negative. And I am the exact opposite, like a child. Like I will hold on to a grudge and I will remember it and wait for my time. But uh, I am only motivated by doing great. Like if I'm in a race <laughs> and I'm in front, I will run like. Like, I will but win he, that race. But if I'm behind, I'm like, nobody believes in me. And I just can't make it over. I, I feel like you say that. But if you really got a good reason to hold on to your grudge and cherish it, I feel like you would pull ahead of the pack. I think you just haven't made but if the I'm right doing grudge. Well, if I'm doing well with my grudge, like if I was behind not doing well getting my revenge, I'd be like, I can't do it. But if I was like, oh, this is going to mess this dude up, I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing it. It's going to be so good when I get my revenge. Yours is just based on winning. Yeah. Whether you're winning. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, uh, I feel like I'm on a roll. I'm doing, I'm doing good. So you must be terrible about about Mario Kart then, you know, like a game where there's random Well, I'm pretty events. good at it. Right, but like, you know, in Mario Kart, you could be doing very, very well, and then like you get hit. Well, after I get hit, then I don't like it. <laughs> but if I can avoid it, if I can avoid it, I do very well. Oh, okay. All right, but anyway, Dr. Doom, he... Holding he that his, grudge, made a whole career off of it. He had his Running a whole country off of that grudge. I mean, I can't say I blame him. The prisoner. Ah, uh, yes. The young traitor who is trying to turn my people against me. Watch him. I have special plans for that one. Beef rap. Commit to getting teeth capped. Or even a reef for mom dudes on some grief crap. I suggest to change the diet. It can lead to high blood pressure if you try. Number five. All right, if my last pick was an anime pick for a not anime person, my next pick is a comics pick for not a comics person. Okay. And that is, I give you Snagglepuss 
from the Hanna-Barbera Beyond Comic Book Initiative by DC Comics that went from 2016 to 2019. Heavens to Murgatroyd. His shooting has improved immensely. We, we really like that book that you, you got at first. That, that was really good. Really, really good. I'm, and I gotta t- I, like, I, I'm going to give some background, too, especially in light of the fact that I feel like um, I'm not a super big comics person, but, like, this was excellent reading. So, like, if you're, if you're the same way, if you're like, Dr. Doom, whatever, I am not going to read that. Think about reading this. Okay? I feel like they could have made a really, really cool, like, HBO series out of yes! this. Yes! So, here, that's another reason it's why I want to talk melodrama. about... such melodrama. Not melodrama, just, just great drama. It's so good, and I want to keep it alive, and that's another reason why I want to talk about this. All right, so Hanna-Barbera, the cartoon characters. If you're a little bit older than us, you definitely watched the Hanna-Barbera cartoons growing up. Um, And we did too, but we kind of caught them in the later years of their syndication runs. So like the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Yogi Bear, Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest. These are all Hanna-Barbera characters. And they're the intellectual property now of DC Comics. That's Uh who, who owns these properties. So in a legendary move... DC came up with this Hanna-Barbera Beyond comic book initiative where they would take some of these goofy old cartoons and then basically give them these really imaginative, gritty reboots, okay? So this is not just like Batman cusses and bad things. Like, this is not just like the old, like, the old Batman heave-ho like they do. These are some really weird, creative, and interesting stories. So, for example, they have a very existential take on the Flintstones where... In a comic book, Fred is musing over his own growing obsolescence in a world where technology is making him obsolete as a person because it's a world where people are reduced to their economic function. Like kind of, that kind of a thing. And it sounds very ridiculous and over the top on paper. Um, but these stories were done with such a deft hand that they're actually very critically acclaimed. So it's kind of like getting us here. Um, I don't know what the average Joe Batman thinks about Hanna-Barbera Beyond, but I think they're good. They, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, they were really cool. And I mean, suffice it to say that DC doesn't know what to do with their properties ever, and they didn't recognize a good thing when they had it. So yeah, they, it's like, they're like the Vince McMahon of they their are, own thing. They have no idea what they're they doing. They only ever succeed by accident, yeah. like seriously. It was only successful because they just thought it was like a garbage license. Like, sure, do whatever that you want. Exactly. And that's why it was great. And that's why it was great. So they axed the Hanna-Barbera Beyond series stories, and they shouldn't have done it. But I, I keep thinking that if, like, we keep talking about it, they're going to be able to bring them back. Okay? I think I think they are critically acclaimed enough that they, they stand up on their own. I mean, that they'll survive. I think so, too. So this brings us to Snagglepuss. Exit stage left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles. This was written by a guy named Mark Russell. Uh, this story reimagines this the dopey pink cat Snagglepuss as a gay Southern playwright in the vein of Tennessee Williams, placed in the midst of the McCarthy era where people are being outed for un-American activities. So this is based very much in, in history, uh-huh. like, right, being communists. You hear this and you're like, what a bonkers concept. You mean that Snagglepuss is like a Tennessee Williams-esque playwright and they're also talking about McCarthyism and you're like, yes, yes, they are. It's bonkers and really, really works. So the story was Eisner nominated, didn't win the Eisner, should have, uh, but it did win a GLAD award for its depiction of LGBT history. And that's how good this is. It had, it was better than it had any right to be. And if you're not a comics book 
a comics person, I still think that you should buy the the volume one trade and read it, and you won't regret it. Like it's super good. Like I was saying, I could I could so easily see that story being on HBO. Oh yeah. I, I'm trying to even think of what to. Uh, compare it to or something but it just looks like succession or something i mean it's so cool the same way that they were able to make a watchman series that yeah. was that was you know you don't think like is this going to work on tv and then they managed to sort of ground it in history in a way that you weren't expecting yeah they could do the same thing and i would love to see this and i will sadly say that there's only one trade so that's it was six issues of the Snagglepost Chronicles and I really keep holding out hope that one of these days DC is going to let Mark Russell write some more but at at least it's like digestible and not intimidating so if somebody wanted to try it they were like like well if I'm going to do it I'm going to read them all well there's only one trade you can do it yeah and just and just read it it's so it's so good and there's like so much heart and it's really I mean yeah it's just a good story so if you've not, like some people are the animals and some people are humans. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's very the the universe feels again way richer than it has any right to be, um, and uh, yeah, if you've not ever looked into the Hanna Barbera Beyond stories, you really should. Like mm-hmm. there was pretty cool stuff happening. I, I remember there. Um, reading a thing. I I didn't read that the Flintstone series, but I remember somebody talking about there's some part of that story where. Um, there are veterans in bedrock from the old lizard war or something. And it's like them having to like confront their prejudices of like other people. And then they're trying to like get their um, benefits from being veterans. And it's, it's really weird. Yeah. That's what I mean, it's cool. Oh, way more issues driven than you would think a story about the Flintstone should be. And it sounds like it should be ridiculous, but it's really not. And again, this is all I think due to like the very good writing of Mark Russell. Uh-huh. Uh, we had him at Ocon in 2019. Um, very glad that we did. And, and I, it was, he was a, nice. Yeah, he he was nice. Okay. He's not he's not a d bag, so no one has to worry about that. <laughs> I would tell you if he was. <laughs> I would. Well, no, I I will tell you, but like not maybe on the podcast. But no, no, he was super nice, and um, I'm really really glad that in any small way that we can kind of like keep pitching this forward because honestly, I want to see more out of mm-hmm. these stories. And I just feel that DC should listen to me, but they won't. But anyway, Snagglepuss, seriously, it'll blow your mind. You'll be like, what am I even reading? The coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's super hipster grid. It's real good. It really is. Check it out. Number four. <laughs> oh, that just warms my soul. But don't worry. There's still a lot of darkness in this old noggin. But this time is different. This time, I learned how to harness it, how to control it. So what do you say? You want to see my secret? When I was trying to round out this list, I wanted a good horror creature because they always have the best origin, but I also wanted a wrestler. So, yeah. So here is both. I think this guy is probably the best wrestling storyteller there is. Maybe maybe that they've ever had in WWE. 
Um, even if it's because he could build on what others have done. This is The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Love it. Love <laughs> it. And this is a more current one because I could have picked any of our old older ones, but this guy's legit. He stands up to their whole history of wrestlers. I am... I know we're like a, a we're a WrestleMania family, right? Uh, we'll check in with the world of professional wrestling once a year. We'll watch Mania. I, I grew up. I used to watch all the matches that weren't pay per view because my mom wouldn't let me pay for it. But uh, <laughs> but but now I keep we keep up by reading blogs and watching WrestleMania. Yeah, like you know you catch up at Mania or whatever, but probably not like a weekly viewer. Right. But like it's it's really hard to ignore. Like I think Bray Wyatt's whole deal has been brilliant. Yeah. He's so, he's so, so smart. Um, uh, and I think we followed, like I, like I said, I've referred to him as the fiend because he's had, um, different personas he's morphed into, but I think we followed him more closely during his first, um, incarnation as Bray, Bray Wyatt before he turned into the fiend. But, um, do you kind of want to talk about his deal or why you like him so much? So his, his deal that, I, that I think that's been very successful in making like a horror sort of stable of characters is that it's kind of like they have like a swamp bayou, uh-huh. mysterious, creepy backstory. And so there's like a whole family of creepy characters who were just like what you would find in like a Rob Zombie film. And in uh-huh. fact, it's like... That's ve- a good example. Yeah, it's like very much it's, that it's aesthetic. It's less Southwest and, and more Florida. Yeah, it's like the... it's like Yeah, you're like down there in the swamp, you know? It may be a cult. It may just be a family. Yeah, Ryan Murphy could never. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. he, he wishes he could tap into the magic of the bayou the way that <laughs> Bray Wyatt has. Has not ever. Has not yet. Tried to. He's got... And he keeps talking about this enigmatic entity called Sister Abigail, which was also his finishing move, which is an awesome name. That is a great name for um, a finishing move. It's just great. And it's either like... It's either like the old cult leader that died or, or or something. You're not sure, but it's cool. And like to play up the swamp thing, his entrance is so good because instead of the bombastic fireworks stuff, it's one of these moody slow ones. And he comes out, it's completely dark, and he's got this lantern. And they play this moody like southern rock, almost like Alice in Chains kind of thing. And everybody holds up their lighters, and he calls all his followers fireflies. And... Um, so he's like a supernatural wrestler. This is like what The Undertaker would have done if he were actually a cool guy in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if they would have wanted to push the envelope at all yeah. more with supernatural stuff, the way that you can now, yeah. I would say, with um, all the cool special effects that they do, which is another thing. <laughs> so here's his origin. Here's where The Fiend comes in. Um, so he was Bray Wyatt forever, super successful, super cool. WWE did not use him as much as they could. So they have him drop his titles um, in August of 2008, and then he disappears for eight months and, like, apparently working on a new character. And then he comes back as a children's entertainer, um, and he's hosting a fake kid show called The Firefly Funhouse. And he has, like, a lot of these little weird segments, like, what is going on here? And then in one episode, he finally starts talking about a darkness that's inside him. And he reveals his inner monster called The Fiend. And this is very cool because Bray had been dropping hints about The Fiend for, like, four years during his matches. He kept saying this weird stuff everybody thought was just, like... Uh, you know, supernatural garbage, but he'd say stuff like, what makes you smile? I know you're listening. Let me in. And that is like 
the fiend's thing is like let me in and he's got like this with this horrible like gashy smiles and stuff so oh, yeah he had been like thinking about this for a while he is absolutely like that like classic spirit halloween horror clown yeah like face <laughs> yeah so, it's horrible so it's sort of ambiguous like First of all, how he looks, he looks kind of like a Slipknot Jack Skellington kind of kind of thing. <laughs> the Slipknot reference is apt, too, because there's also like some sort of trashy hard rock metal. It's an update of his original song that's like a um, uh, more metal version of the original one. Apparently, I, d- I did look this up. The, his new theme song charted at number 26 on the Billboard Hot, Hot 100. <laughs> Cause it's it was because cool. it was such a jam. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> um, and when he came out, um, it was so cool because he was holding a lantern that was the head of Bray Wyatt. He had Tim was his Tim Savini, the old monster Tom guy. Savini, yeah. yeah, he made Bray's head like it was his decapitated head, and the light was coming out. I and, didn't know that Tom Savini made his mm-hmm. head. And head his headlamp. So it's not clear whether like the fiend is like his inner demon that can manifest for certain matches or if it's either like a deranged Bray getting revenge or an avenging spirit of some kind, it's not clear. But I wanted to mention him because it shows how important origin stories are for drama and what's lacking sometimes in the wrestling product right now. Like drama is not what cool things somebody said to another at this match. That's true. It's their motivation. Like the drama is in, we always talk about the pageantry and what's motivating them com- coming out. And you know that Bray or the Fiend remembers all the wrongs done to Bray. You know he's a demon. You totally pump from him walking the whole way there. That That is what wrestling is. I'm sorry. Wrestling is marching the action figures around. It's not <laughs> yeah. clashing them together as much. It really, really is. That actually goes into my next pick very, very nicely because um, this is a curious mix between a real person and a fictional persona. But since you just said that wrestling is really about marching the action figures to the ring, that is why I am so proud for number three to be none other than Jimmy Hart. Oh. The mouth of the South. Yeah. One of wrestling's most beloved manager types and completely different energy from Bray Wyatt. I would say he's in maybe my top three list of wrestling personalities. Just ever, period. But the charisma is so undeniable, and that's kind of like why I wanted to talk about him, even though he's less fictionalized than some. And he has an origin story? Well, I won't get ahead of you, but go ahead. He does in that... He comes into his own at some point. It's, he's he's got great energy around his personal legend. I'm going to try to explain okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. what okay, I sorry, mean sorry, about yeah. that because this is someone I love dearly, and I've mentioned offhand several million times, but I've never paid a proper homage to him on this podcast. Afraid, Jimmy Hart. You know I figured the earth. Wait, we're going to a love snatch the microphone. Don't away. get me wrong, Hulk. Let me tell you something, baby. He's not afraid of you. He's just afraid of what he might. Baby, 
he is a wrestling personality slash songwriter. And um, before I get into like why I love him specifically, I'm going to talk a little bit about the function of a wrestling manager, uh-huh. right? Because like we'll, we we talk around it. And also I know like a lot of our friends slash listeners, because it's all the same, it's just one big group. <laughs> are like reluctant to hear about wrestling, but secretly you want to know yes. more. <laughs> yes. You you love it. You love wrestling. If it was packaged up different, you'd be watching it all the time. Uh, yes. So, I mean, a wrestling manager, they've been functionally around for years, since the territory days, which is like way before WWE. And a big example was Bobby the Brain Heenan in the American Wrestling Association um, a manager is someone who would appear ringside with a wrestler, and it's usually somebody who's really, really good on the mic, and their function is they're trying to get their guy over with the crowd. So you're in some hostile crowd in, you know, whatever little town in a VFW hall, and you need to explain why your guy is good and why people need to side with him. That's why you have a great wrestling manager there, because they'll get on the mic and they'll do all the talking for the person. So... As the years went on, managers took on a more active role in storylines. And then as the WWE era kind of came about, they would even sometimes participate in the actual wrestling, take a bump occasionally. Um, And then they would do things in character to influence the match, which is where it gets really, really fun. Because you have somebody like... You know, they'll go and they'll hit the guy and the ref's got his back turned. It's like, did mm-hmm. you see that? Sensational Sherry done did whatever. <laughs> you know, so there was something like that. Or you could have like a really good character driven one, like how Paul Bearer for The Undertaker used to hold The Undertaker's magical urn so that the taker could come tag it and get some powers from the urn, right? <laughs> like, you, you know. Sometimes he threatened to put people's souls in the urn. Yeah, that too. W- which we always thought was real funny when it's somebody <laughs> who's not mystical at all. Like, you, your go-to one was King Kong King Bundy. Funny, I will fill it with the soul of King Kong Bundy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think you'll have room left over in that urn after you get King Kong Bundy's soul in there. <laughs> he doesn't have a very big soul. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. But anyway, just I say all that to say that managers make wrestling more fun. And I would argue are just some of the best parts of wrestling in and of itself. So Jimmy Hart, the man I'm talking about, actually described the role of wrestling managers in a segment in the dark side of the ring. And he described them as being sort of the hood ornament on the Cadillac, you know, (laughs) like the wrestler's still the main attraction, but this is just that finishing touch but that's I how you feel, know it's a good product. Well, yeah, that's how you know it's a good product. Yeah, it's just, it's just the stamp. It's like the chef's kiss, you know. I even kind of feel like he was selling himself short mm-hmm. with that description, though. Especially if you've got, like, either somebody who doesn't have a lot of uh, speaking charisma or you've got a monster character, you have to have the manager tell you who the character is. Yes, exactly. Like, they're doing a whole lot of heavy lifting for the storytelling there. That's why, like... um. Oh, God, who's the Jimmy John shorts guy they have? Brock Lesnar. Yeah, uh, Brock Lesnar, you know, he's just a What's muscle deal? loaf. Like, he's a muscle you loaf. Have to have, uh, you have to have Paul out there playing him up. He's amazing on the mic, and that's part of why they can use him. And that's part of the reason why Brock Lesnar does not interest <laughs> us. <laughs> really, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big Brock uh-uh. Lesnar fan. Um, So, okay, so Jimmy Hart came out of the Memphis wrestling circuit. He's known for wearing these flamboyant spangly suits with big collars like Elvis in his later years. 
He has like this bodacious pompadour and a mullet and a soul patch and a mustache, a handlebar mustache. He has like all four. They all go together really beautifully. Okay, we talk about a hipster. He looks like a Tennessee hipster. Yes. He's like the hippest man who ever came out of Tennessee. And he's always calling people like... um, like baby, like ba- baby and baby. stuff. Like he's real hipster. He's he's real cool. He's always got sunglasses. Always calling everybody baby. He's got the megaphone. He's you got say a that? megaphone. He always speaks through a megaphone. So uh, as he came up through and got bigger, you know, he was known for helping the Hart Foundation and their rise to the top. He managed Honky Tonk Man. He apparently managed King Kong Bundy. I don't remember that, but even like Hulk Hogan, like he managed mm-hmm. a lot of different people. Oh, the during... Hart, the Hart Foundation too for a while. Yeah, yeah, the Hart Foundation. Like he was a big part in getting them over as a group. Uh, but before that, he was into all kinds of shenanigans. Okay, <laughs> so here's the origin of Jimmy Hart. Okay, did you know? because I just learned this, that he was in the 1965 music group called The Gentries, who had a hit song, Keep On Dancing. You definitely know this song. It was on a Teddy Ruxpin commercial I, when we were kids. I do know the song. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep on dancing. Gonna do the jerk right now. Like that one. Shake it, shake it, baby. Jimmy Hart was in that I did, band. I did not know that. Jimmy Hart was what did in he, that band. What did he play? So he was like one of the lead singers. He didn't sing on that song, but and, and he didn't write it because it was actually a cover. But like he was like one of the main dudes uh-huh. in this group. And so as I went on a delightful YouTube rabbit hole and found out, you can find people writing down the timestamps of every time <laughs> on an old Gentry's video that you can see Jimmy Hart in there. And it's like, holy crap, because he looked very different when he was oh. young. So he's just like this this beautiful butterfly always going through metamorphosis. So, okay, he was in that, right? Now, the way that he got into wrestling is because Jerry the King Lawler, who was uh, who went to uh, Memphis Treadwell High School a couple of years after Jimmy Hart did, Jerry Lawler became a professional wrestler and asked Jimmy Hart to be his manager. Just oh. like, hey, you're good at being on the mic. Can you just be my wrestling manager? And Jimmy Hart was probably like, sure, baby. And he just had a whole thing about it. And that just became his life. Jimmy Hart even acted as manager for Andy Kaufman when he was doing his weird oh. avant-garde bit about wrestling women. If, you, if you've seen the uh-huh. film Man on the Moon, uh, Jimmy Hart does not play an appearance like as a character or anything like that. But he was all around during those shows, um, especially in the Southern Circuit and around Memphis, where Andy Kaufman was doing this bizarre performance art bit that was him challenging women to wrestling matches. Uh-huh. That, that was like his whole bit. Jimmy Hart was there for that. And he was Andy Kaufman's manager, which I also didn't know. And Andy Kaufman is the one who gave Jimmy Hart the nickname, the Mouth of the South. Oh. Did not know this, okay? Jimmy Hart also wrote all kinds of theme songs. He wrote Shawn Michaels' Sexy Boy. Oh, that's a good one. He wrote It's All About the Money, that Ted, Ted DiBiase, Another the, great the one. Million Dollar Man. He wrote the wedding song for Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Oh. And the reason why I say this is an origin story I love is that this is somebody who stumbled into his career by accident, but was going to be himself no matter what. And I have every confidence that if Jimmy Hart had turned out to be like a paleontologist or something like that, he'd be exactly the same. He'd be like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of paleontology or something. But he couldn't help himself. He would be a personality. He would be. He'd just be like, that little dang old fossils, baby, they're beautiful. Like, (laughs) look at that dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) Look at them chompers. (laughs) He gonna come after you. Like, 
I just love someone who is going to be themselves no matter what. And this is just someone that I really admire and I want, I don't necessarily want his exact career, but I just kind of want that quality in my life. And, uh, his origin story is just being good on the mic and talking his way into a whole career, and he's been winging it as he goes. <laughs> God bless him. But I promise you this, I will get the last laugh. But what I want to talk about, too, is the killer bees. You see, the killer bees, they're wannabes because they want to be the world champions, but they'll never be. They want to be number two. There are two kinds of metal in this yard, scrap and art. If you got to eat one of them, eat the scrap. What you currently have in your mouth is art! All right, this one may be a little shorter, but I, I think it's because it's so specific and, and really calls on something we mentioned earlier. If we're talking about how things were created, we must talk about the purest souls in the world. Yes. Robots. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the noble iron giant from the 1999 Brad Bird film. Um, here's another one like Dr. Doom where the character has a backstory that's good enough to motivate them, but that's not how he becomes the iron giant. So if you haven't seen this movie, it was based on the 1968 novel called the iron man. It's set during the cold war in 57. And it's about a boy named Hogarth Hughes who befriends a giant robot who fell from outer space and Hogarth and a beatnik artist, I think played by Harry Connick jr. Uh, try to keep the U S military and a federal agent from finding and destroying the robot. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty good already. He could already have a motivation. He's an alien. He's a robot. Maybe he shows up when Hogarth, needs him or something but the moment of his origin happens at the uh end of the film and i won't spoil it spoil it uh and also i can't stand leaving things on a bummer note so you know there's a hopeful note at the end but anyway near the end of the film there's a missile that's going to wipe out the town and th the giant turns to hogarth to say goodbye and flies up into outer space in this shot that looks like the superman shot from the movie where he flies around the globe and you remember uh, the giant read all those Superman comics of Hogarth's and he hears in his head Hogarth saying, you are who you choose to be. And in his robot voice, he says, Superman and flies into the missile to save everybody. Oh God. Um, it's so beautiful. You know how I lose my mind when there is a beautiful robot story. Yeah. Um, this is as good as it gets. And this is such a crystalline, pure example of somebody deciding who they are this is the moment he becomes the iron giant this is who he is he is superman this is exactly what he would do and it is the birth of the iron giant this is a film that definitely passed me by because i wasn't the right age or the you know like when it came out or uh -huh. whatever but this is a film to make boys cry <laughs> and that's really really like everything that i know about it is that it is just this a beautiful tender film and for goodness sake you know, it's one of those that if you haven't watched it, you probably should. But they, this is what, one of the ones that everybody agrees is a animation masterpiece and did get overlooked at the time. Um, and, and also, you know, Brad Bird's very celebrated career kind of began with this movie. This was like his, his doing. So it, it was definitely a good one. And I don't really have too much more to add, but I definitely wanted to add him to the list because it's such a uh, pure origin story and one of the best robot origin stories I can think of. <laughs> Gotta have robots. 
So before we name our top origin story, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. I was going to say Dr. Manhattan. I always love that one. That's a whole thing to get into, but I just love how he disappears into like, you know, his atoms scattered and then slowly builds that uh, nervous system that just materializes and freaks people out for a while till he can constitute his whole body. Oh, yeah. He yeah. just completely decompensates into nothingness. It's so cool. I love that. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, uh, we've already talked about Clayface. Uh, uh, I would also say the the worm tyrant from the Dune novels where he has to choose to turn into this uh, monster to change the course of history. I love that. And then I would also say Spawn. Uh, I just love the people's uh, willpower is so pure and strong that they are willing to sacrifice their very souls to the devil to do something. Like he wants to go back and see Wanda, his wife, and he enters this deal with the devil to do it. Like that is a motivation. And yeah, all he had to do was let Dr. Doom build that machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Give him a little more time. That's too. Unless Reed Richards is around to uh, neg him. I know. Reed Richards making everybody doubt <laughs> I themselves. I don't think that's right. <laughs> I can't believe you used cosine instead of tangent. I don't know what kind of... And I love, that, I love that he's like such a child about it. He's like, I'll show you. <laughs> like, so. so to that, I would add... Uh, Anakin Skywalker. Uh-huh. That's probably should have been like number one, but my number one is weird and I made it and it's my list. I can do what I want to. I'm ready to see Anakin get a second chance in that new movie. I've been kind of like whatever about all the new Star Wars properties, but the Obi-Wan thing and them bringing back Hayden Christensen or whatever for a second chance. I think it's pretty cool. I want to see that. You know, I wish him well. I wish he had him a the, good look. I wish him all the luck in the world. Yeah. Um, then, Probably, uh, I, I did pick Monsters University. I liked from the Monsters, Inc. I think that was really cute, how they met at school. Uh -huh. It's not super important. That was a cute pick. Um, I would also say I do like Captain America's super serum. I want a super serum. I wish somebody would give me one. I don't care who developed it. Just give me the super serum. Uh -huh. And then I think but, we all got serum uh, <laughs> hunger right now. We do have to give me the we serum. We all want to be injected right now. I need it. And then <laughs> My sister um, is a, a nurse anesthetist, and she just got hers, so that's very exciting. She did get her super serum. Yeah. I'm so I don't know excited. if she's had her second dose yet, but it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm very excited for, for her, too. Um, and then finally, I would add the song, The Origin of Love, from Hedwig and the Angry, Angry Inch, which I almost uh -huh. made a pick because I love that song so much, yeah. and it just like makes me sob, but whatever. So that, But that's my last. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Hedwig could have been a pick. In, it could have been. Uh, yes, yeah. and it was like a whole thing. And yeah, I like, it is I a whole it? thing. And then yeah. I'm like, nah. That's a great soundtrack. That's, a, that's an amazing song. So who is your number one? I guess what? So what is your number one origin of all time? <laughs> number one. I'll, this will also be short, like the Iron Giant, hopefully, because there's not a whole lot to say about it, except for I just really like it and it resonates with me. Mm -hmm. Much like the Iron Giant does with you, my number one pick is Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. Oh, but, I thought you were going to say Elwood from Blues Brothers. Well, what's his origin? He's a Blues Brother. And he he's got, got out of the brother. state pen well, that's at Joliet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get mad at me because I didn't pick Elwood. No, Elle, Elle Woods. Woods is a great one. There's a great, great Elle movie. Elwood Blues. Honorable mention is Elwood Blues. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I 
Okay, Elle Woods. I'm talking about my yeah. girl thing now. This okay. is a girl pick from the 2001 film Legally Blonde starring Reese Witherspoon as a ditzy fashion merchandising major who goes on to law school in an attempt to woo back the dude who dumped her, but then who goes on to realize how smart and resourceful she actually is. Okay? Oh. Come on, you're never going to get the grades to qualify for one of those spots. You're not smart enough, sweetie. Wait, am I on glue, or did we not get into the same law school, Warner? Well, yeah, but... But what? We took the same LSATs, and we're taking the same classes. I know, but come on, Elle, be serious. You can do something more valuable with your time. I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? So, her origin story. Now, I know you've watched Legally Blonde a million times. I think I've watched it. And you love it. Three. That's three good times. That's three more than I would have thought. So, <laughs> but I mean, this is a, a film that is a repeat viewing film. Like, uh -huh. you want to watch it, like, maybe not once a year, but like once every few years. Like, I haven't watched Legally Blonde in a while. That is because this is one of the most motivating, I think, character origins, like, ever. Um, her inciting incident is her boyfriend breaks up with her because he's going to law, Harvard Law and um, he needs a serious girlfriend. You know, like, she seems serious. You know, he needs a, a Jackie, not a Marilyn. That's uh -huh. what he tells her. Um, she thinks he's going to propose, of course, and, and then, of course, gets completely overturned Like she can't even believe what's happening. And she decides she's going to go to Harvard Law, too. And she gets into it by studying very hard for her LSATs. And it's a hero's journey because she thinks she's going to Harvard to get her man back. But, of course, she discovers herself along the way. And she's always true to herself. She doesn't change who she is fundamentally. And that's the important element. That is funny because I you did mention that she studies hard. But it was pretty funny how in her, like, um, application video she's like filming herself like in a swimsuit in a pool because she is gonna still do that it's still yeah. funny it doesn't she, hurt yeah she's she's gonna be herself and of yeah. course it does make her application stand out because she has a very high score on her lsats but then it's like we've never had somebody who was a fashion merchandising major at <laughs> harvard law let's go for it um and so her story truly begins when she is at harvard law school and she meets up with the ex-boyfriend at a party and she realizes through this conversation with him that he's not ever going to change his opinion of her. He's always going to think that she's, like, not smart. And even though they got into the same law school, here they are. Um, and then there's an incredible montage that makes everything right in my world where she gets serious about her studies. And the power of this montage is just amazing. It's, what, it's like my favorite montage uh -huh. in all of studio history of all, of all films is when Elle Woods starts studying really hard at Harvard Law. I love it, okay? This is the origin of Elle Woods, who buckles down and gets it done. And so this is also a movie about, you know, the perceptions of others being short-sighted and that people are all capable of more than we get them credit for. Blah, 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 blah. And this is one of the most feel-good and motivating movies of all time. And if you've not ever watched Legally Blonde, go freaking watch it. It'll make you feel good. It'll make you feel like you can study and do good with your little orange MacBook. And uh, Luke Wilson is the new boyfriend? <laughs> he is the love interest, okay, yes. Okay, that's right. Okay. Which he does a good job of yeah. acting. And you said she she's still... Is herself, and as I remember, that's kind of how she 
solves the case at the end. Is yeah. She combines both worlds to do it or that's something. That's right. And that's how you make synergy, my friend. Yes. Is taking two unlikely things and propelling them to new heights. And I hope we can all do that in the new year by being ourselves, but also by being motivated by a petty wish to see Reed Richards eat dirt. <laughs> So I feel that that was a very, very good spectrum of origin stories. I do too. I mean, and the obvious thing to say about it, I think, is that the origin story is not the event. It's the, it's the, like the re recommitment to some principle or or whatever. It's it's not necessarily a. We have to always recommit to who we want to be. And let's take that energy into 2021. You you know, in in, in whatever way you do it, you're going to name yourself. Yeah. This is your story, baby. You got to just live it. And read Richard's. Time to be be the mouth of the South. That's right. Time to be Dr. Doom. Yeah. And Reed Richards can suck on it. So if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Will, where can people follow us? You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or you can visit uh, our website, thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original comedy series. Um, or uh, you can and should go to um, Rebecca's website, uh, kinggarrity.com, K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y.com. You can download for free her, um, like, I guess you call it like a teaser single. Yeah. Like, but it's the title track from, from the album, Get Big. So just look for that. You can just download it. And also you should go to her Spotify uh, and follow her. Yeah, follow me on that so I can have some followers. Yes, that's very helpful. And you'll have a new single coming out. January 8th. Actually, yeah, really soon. So there'll be another one for you. And then the whole album comes out. January 29th. Okay, and we will be talking about this. So don't worry about it. I'll never It's really good. It's really good. It was really good. It was really good. Thanks for listening. uh, And we'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. 